Everyone has a story. I get them to tell it. Welcome to the Aaron Bender Podcast. Conversations with media personalities about their personal and professional lives and journeys. Really appreciate your support, whether you're watching on YouTube or IGTV or nightly at 11 p.m. Pacific or 2 a.m. Eastern on DBNA TV at dbnatelevision.tv or streaming with the DBNA TV app on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV or listening on your favorite platform. Before we get to my conversation with Julio Cortez, a little about my story. I'm a widowed dad of two girls who just lost their mom a grieving husband, a man in recovery trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective, a college journalism professor, a white guy in a world of injustice, a 20-year broadcast media veteran who had his dream job and then lost it. A year and a half ago, God gave me a gift, an opportunity to stop, step back, and breathe so I can learn about love, vulnerability, forgiveness, grace, self-care, patience, and understanding. Julio Cortez is a photographer with the Associated Press who just recently won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking news for his coverage in Minneapolis. He's come a long way since growing up in a little town outside Mexico City, entering the U.S. without papers, and spending nearly a decade going to college before eventually graduating from Cal State Northridge. Take me to the moment you heard your name announced as a Pulitzer Prize winner. Oh man, that was uh, an incredible moment. Uh, you know, you, you dream about this moment uh, all your life, all your you know journalism career. You know, to hear your name, uh, in particular for me to see my picture. You know, uh, that was the key. Uh, I had my family, I had my my wife Emily and my uh, my two sons with us, and, and I told them, I prepped them. I you know, I told my three year old son Sebastian, I said. If daddy's fo- photo shows up on the screen, that means we're champions. So uh, that, you know, the, the minute that the image came out, uh, I jumped up and, you know, uh, there's an awesome video that shows that uh, emotion. But I just jumped up and I, I you know, I screamed and, uh, and, and celebrated. Uh, I started crying I- I- immediately because, uh, you know, it was completely unbelievable. The iconic picture you took, because you were one of 10 Associated Press photographers awarded the Pulitzer Prize for your coverage of all that was happening last summer and your photo of Minneapolis or out of Minneapolis. How did you come to take that photograph? And did you going into the competition and, of course, being uh, awarded the Pulitzer Prize, did you understand going in that that was like the iconic photo of the 10? You know, um, right off the bat, when we took that picture last year uh, uh, in Minneapolis, uh, it it blew up, um, you know, crazy. Uh, You know, I know that uh, the term going viral is used very uh, loosely, but this one actually did go viral, which was really incredible. Um, I, I tried to do a lot of these dangerous assignments under the radar, uh, I don't like to tell people that I'm doing it. Uh, in fact, I kind of go in uh, and don't even post on social media until I'm done, uh, just so I can, you know, focus and not have, you know, the chatter, the, the you know, uh, messages or, or whatnot in the background. I just want to clear that space. Uh, so that's exactly what was going on in Minneapolis, where I'm like, 
I need to just get in, get out. Is this is super dangerous? I don't want to alert my family. So, um, but it was crazy because I shot that image uh, at eleven fifty nine p.m. with thirty eight seconds. So symbolically, it's like the turn of the day, like uh, you know, which is even more incredible. But um, you know, I left the scene at about one thirty and went to bed by three. Woke up at seven thinking, all right, just another uh, day of work. Let's let's see what we can get today. A and then social media was just nuts with it. Uh, so much that I had to eventually get on the phone with my dad and, and say, look, you're going to see some pictures where, you know, I'm in some crazy situations. Uh, you know, just know that I'm okay. And, and I have a team that's keeping me safe. So, uh, so the, yeah, that blew up. Uh, out of proportion immediately and and so uh having that you know that conversation over and over about the photo being iconic and 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 symbolic just kind of never really sunk in it still really hasn't uh i i knew it's it was a key component uh and and the one thing about the uh the the um the award seasons and the contest uh i it's completely hands off uh as far as uh, I'm concerned because uh, I don't even know what gets pushed in. Uh, our company uh, has a team that, you know, it's really well equipped to uh, enter uh, images into contests and, and they're magicians and they're, you know, they do really great work putting those stuff together. I didn't even know uh, what was submitted. I knew the image was part of it. I didn't know if it was turned in as a single or as a multiple. Uh, I was just happy to be in the mix. Had you ever had a photo go viral like that or get that type of recognition? Um, I had, you know, several that, you know, were kind of, um, I you know, for lack of better words, uh, you know, viral. Uh, one you can think of is the Odell Beckham uh, three-finger catch in the end zone where he kind of dove back and, and caught it, you know, for a touchdown. Uh, that was also a pretty uh, symbolic moment, I guess. And, and seeing you know, uh, fans bring the, that picture to the stadium to have Odell sign them was pretty cool. Uh, but, but nothing like this, this, this one reached, you know, worldwide, people were looking at it, uh, in, in the different formats, uh, across the, the, the world. And, and also when you think about it, the meaning behind it, I mean, yes, the Odell Beckham catch is, uh, symbolic and iconic in a sport that really outside the lines doesn't have all that much impact yours and that event and all the events of last summer far reaching impact yeah i mean when you talk about you know the uh, the image itself it's uh, it's a gentleman while running in front of fire with the flag upside down uh you know a symbol of distress kind of really kind of puts everything into perspective as far as what was going on with protest uh, in america at the moment so uh, I've always used the flag as a visual reference uh, for telling my stories. And, and that's just for being a, a historian uh, geek and, and a photo geek, uh, just seeing what, what has worked uh, over the years in, in photos. And, and so, like, for example, uh, the, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima, uh, the, the flag being placed on the moon, um, you know, by the astronauts or, or you know, uh, as recent as the the flag being raised by the firefighters at September 11, the uh, Ground Zero, you know these images 
with the flag are very powerful. So I've, I've always used that, uh, the flag as a, as a visual reference to help me tell the story. And this one just kind of helped, uh, you know, elevate it that much more, I think. I want to explore a little bit of something you mentioned, the idea that you don't really alert your family. When you say your family, are you talking about Emily or are you talking about like extended family? Or is it just like, you know what? I'm not telling anybody where I am because I don't want them to worry any more than I know they will once I tell them where I was. Sure. Uh, obviously, my wife knows exactly where I am, uh, you know, at all, almost at all times. Uh, <laughs> when I do go, uh, when I do go into assignments, uh, you know, I, I we have very short conversations and it's mostly about the kids or mostly about, you know, uh, when you come back, this needs to be get, get done or, you know, this broke or or we got to go to this meeting or whatever. Uh, it's real it, life. It's, it's back to real life. It's like, oh, by the yeah. way, Julio, you're, you're a dad. You're a husband. Put down the camera. We've got a sink to fix. We've got. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, it's just it's, it's weird. I think a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, just magically breaks when I'm out of town. So uh, so the honey to do list is, is quite large. But. Uh, but yeah, no, everybody else, I try to keep them, uh, you know, on, on the need to know basis, uh, just just to keep everybody safe and, and, and calm and, and mostly me because I can't be looking at my phone answering texts while, you know, the pepper spray is being shot at me or whatever. Take me back to the first time you were pepper sprayed. Uh, actually, I've, uh, I've been uh, very fortunate. The, the times that I have been for, for uh, pepper sprayed, I've always had protection. So, uh, but the first time was actually in Minneapolis. Uh, it was not that night where, where that photo was made, uh, but uh, but also, you still there? Yeah, I'm I'm here. That's fine. That's right, fine yeah, for the for the people uh, listening. His uh, video just dropped out. If people watching on YouTube, you already know his video dropped out. So go ahead. So Minneapolis pepper sprayed. Yeah. So uh, it was a couple of days after that. It, it, there was just a situation where. Uh, cops were getting pretty uh, active with with the uh, protesters, and and I got a little bit of the residue. You know, my my whole uh, style in phot photography uh, for these situations is to be as uh, close as possible. So you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit of the uh, you know uh, ripple effects of it. So yeah, I mean, luckily I had a mask on, and it, it, I was able to just swipe it off my mask. But uh, one thing people don't realize is. Uh, you know, you get it on your body and then you don't really think about it because it's there. You go uh, back to your hotel room, back to your house and you start washing up and it kind of reactivates. Oh, no. It's, oh, no. When, so uh, one learn one thing that I learned very quickly is you got to shower in, in pieces. You got to like do your hands first in the sink, do your face in the sink, and then you jump in the shower because otherwise, if you don't do that, if you're a rookie, which never happened to me, thankfully, <laughs> people told me. But if you're a rookie, you jump in the shower, everything's going to go to places that are very sensitive. And <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> and pepper spray. You're going to be remembering the, the cops at that moment all over again. Tell me about, because we've talked about you've, you've got a wife, you've got two young kids. How are you a different photographer now compared to when, you know, before you had a family? Oh, uh, it's it's uh, night and day. Now I'm more careful. Uh, you know, I, I I try to act a little bit more conscious of of uh, my personal safety because I need to come home. You know, uh, when I got 
sent to Minneapolis, I was actually really scared for my life because I had followed the news for a couple of days and I knew it was very scary. Uh, so it, that, that approach definitely changed, uh, uh, you know, once I got married and started having kids, you know, I, I don't want to uh, miss out on, on being a dad. So I, I, you know, I, I try to make sure I come home. You're about to have uh, baby number three. Is it another son or is a daughter on the way? We have no idea. It, it's uh, we've always been, uh, you know, the surprise kind of, uh, you know, parents here. Uh, so much that um, our, our second son, when he was born, uh, my wife had a super fast labor. We were set up for a home birth and, and uh, it was so fast that our midwife didn't get uh, there in time. So. Uh, so I caught the baby myself. Oh, no. and, and so when you talk about, you know, go, going into burning buildings to photographs that stuff, uh, that's a piece of cake compared <laughs> to having to catch your own baby. Yeah. You capture an image or capture your baby. Which one would you rather do again? Uh, I, I, I've already told the uh, the midwife that, you know, she's, she's going to have to assist me because I'm, I'm ready. I'm I'm certified now. <laughs> you know, if you see on my Instagram um uh, bio I actually put like for for fun I put part-time mid-husband I saw that I was gonna ask what what do you uh, but now I know now I know what you mean yeah yeah it's just uh, one of the proudest moments of my life to be able to save my son but you know from falling on the ground when he was born it's just uh, super cool yeah so I I remember at Jimboree once I think our firstborn was maybe like two or three and she's on the the jungle gym or whatever and she started to fall back and, you know, dad reflex, you just, and I, I grabbed her the back of her head, maybe about an inch or two before she fell to the ground. I, wow. Now, so that's, that's after two or three years of practice. Now I know your, your, your second son, you've got some dad reflex practice, but not, nothing can prepare you. I don't think for that. No, well, actually the fact that I saw my firstborn uh, being born help me because I knew what was going on. But if this would have been like, you know, cold turkey, like this is your baby coming out. <laughs> I, yeah, I probably would have passed out. So, you know, midwife would have walked in and, and, you know, have to wake me up, get the baby. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, just crazy stuff. What, what's an example of, we talk about that night and day of how different you are a photographer before your family and now that you are a husband and a dad you've got to come home what are some examples you can think of where like you said you run into a burning building and you're taking pictures what are some examples that come to mind uh, uh pre-dad julio going into breaking news situations to take photographs uh well for once is uh for my bachelor what i did for my bachelor party i, I went and and went skydiving for the third time and, you know, and, and I didn't know like if it was my third and last time. So I just wanted to make sure, cause I knew that once getting married, uh, you know, I, it would be a lot harder for me to, you know, make those decisions. Uh, but, but photograph wise, I mean, luckily I, I haven't been uh, exposed to too much violence. Um, I, I did work in New Jersey where, uh, you know, in Newark, New Jersey, a very violent uh, town, um, and I did get beat up a couple of times there. So, uh, you know, walking into the, the projects with, you know, expensive gear and, and, and without anybody else to back me up, that was kind of silly and, and uh, you know, dangerous, but I was willing to do that. Whereas now uh, I won't go into the projects by myself. I, you know, 
find another colleague or or try to figure out a, a you know a way to do it uh, where I have backup. You brought up the expensive gear. I was going to talk about this a little bit later on. I've got a brother-in-law who's a photographer, and I showed him some of your photos as well as your Instagram, and he uh, uh, fixated on one of the lenses you were carrying kind of over your shoulder. This was at the uh, Naval Academy graduation where you were taking a picture of uh, the Mexican flag that was draped over, I think a chair may have been over a um, uh, one of the graduates. But I was like, wow, look at this. Look at this photograph. It's great. He's like, ask him about that lens. And, you know, like what, what, when you talk about expensive gear, like what's the most expensive piece of equipment you have? Uh, I mean, is this something that you pay for? Is this something that your employers kind of subsidize? How's that all work? Uh, first of all, it's, I'm really glad and, and, and super blessed to work for a company that just gives you the, the equipment. Uh, to work with. They give you a basic kit that includes that super long lens. It's a 400 millimeter lens, uh, uh, 2.8 aperture, uh, which, uh, you know, for for photo geeks, that just means it's like the biggest and the best. (laughs) Uh, That that, um, lens uh, is is as much as, you know, a a used vehicle, uh, you know, pretty nice used vehicle. It's it's roughly in the 12 to 13,000 uh, dollar range. When you add that up to the cameras, uh, you know, the, the computer, the uh, the drone, uh, it, it can get quite um, expensive really quick. But uh, luckily, I, you know, I, I get handed this stuff and and uh, and I'm told go for it. Um, it. It's really cool when I do uh, horse racing because I, I do the remotes along the rail. And, and, you know, for a normal race, I would use six or seven cameras on the rail as remotes. Uh, so all of those cameras come in from uh, the, the camera supplier and, and and it's like opening up like a Christmas gift because all, <laughs> all of a sudden you see like, you know, 10, you know, $8,000 cameras right there and you get to play with them all. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. I don't know who your professor was at Cal State Northridge and we'll get to your journey to college shortly, but um, my professor, gosh, of course, I'm completely blanking on his name. Kent, Kent, no. Oh, of course, I'm completely blanking on his name. But uh, it was black and white film photography. And we had to go into the lab. We had to go ahead and, um, you know, uh, develop everything. How, and that, that, was, that was difficult, obviously. You know, you're, you're praying that you got the shot because you, you really don't know. Uh, did you learn on a, a black and white film camera on, on a film camera, or did you grow up digital in terms of your professional career? Uh, so all my uh, professional career has been all digital. So that's, uh, that's been uh, the luxury that I have, but, but I did. Oh, uh, David Bigelow, David Bigelow was my, oh, yeah, was my professor. Bigelow. Yes. I'm sure. I'm, oh no, Todd, Todd Bigelow, not David, Todd, Todd, Todd Bigelow. I'm sorry, Todd. I'm going to tag you on this because I'm completely embarrassed, but no, he, he was a great professor, still working photography. He's, he's, he's great. But Todd Bigelow was the professor, black and white film photography. Um, I think you eventually, when you went, you had Blumenkrantz, David Blumenkrantz. No, actually, I had uh, Bigelow. Oh, you had uh, Bigelow too? Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And, and the, the thing with uh, photography at CSUN for me, it was very limited uh, because uh, when I came to CSUN, I was on like the quick track to get out. 
uh, I spent seven years at the junior college level, uh, splitting between LA Valley and LA Pierce, uh, because I didn't have uh, the, the residency papers. So in order to go to CSUN, I would have to be paying out of state tuition. Uh, so it would cost me USC journalism money to go to CSUN. Right. So, uh, you know, financially, I can, I can make it happen. I, I, just, I thought it was a waste of money. But uh, so I spent uh, all this time at the, at the junior college level, uh, you know, doing the photo classes and, and learning about uh, the dark room and all that. Um, but and then once I came to CSUN, it was uh, since I was on a journalism, just a print uh, degree, uh, I took all the basic uh, journalism classes that I needed. And, and then the only photo class that I that I took was uh, Todd Bigelow's class which was really cool because it was a documentary style, which is completely not my thing. Yeah. Uh, there, it was really hard. It still is to this day. It's hard for me to work in the documentary style. Yeah, it forces you uh, to, to think that long game. And I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, I just don't think that way. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a quick hits uh, kind of guy, you know, just go, get in, get out and do the job. Uh, but there, there, we had our, our uh, semester project, <clears throat> I was going to ask, what uh, was your semester project? Yeah, uh, I, I wound up uh, doing because uh, um, I was traveling back and forth to Texas for uh, for a couple of things. And, and and so I decided to do religion in Texas, uh, you know, kind of based it around uh, Holy Week. And, and so uh, the pictures, uh, you know, I go back and look at them now and I just cringe because they're really bad. But they're. <laughs> There's one image that uh, really stood out, um, uh, you know, of a little girl running through a field uh, with her basket on Easter morning and looking for eggs. And I'm kind of hovering over her and, and like the, the, the uh, dress is flowy. And, and I remember like Todd is, you know, he, he was a great professor because he like really wanted you to succeed. So he yeah. actually kind of like gave me the little tap on the, on the shoulder. He's like, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's a picture right there. That's the cover and, photo. That's yeah. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, not, on, not, not long after I took this class, I, I interned in Florida with one of Todd's really good friends. Uh, so, so that Tim Rasmussen, uh, was the editor at the Sun Sentinel. And, and so I went and interned with them, not knowing that they were friends, uh, and so I show up there and he's like, Hey, aren't you, uh, you know, in this guy's class? Like, yeah. So nice small world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Where did you go from the sun Sentinel? Uh, so I, I interned there. I went back to school. Uh, and, and then, uh, I, I finished out my, uh, my CSUN, uh, career there. Uh, and then after that, I went to my AP internship in Chicago. And, you you just did you just stay with Associated Press after that? I, I know you you mentioned working in New Jersey, having to cover Newark a lot. Yeah, no, I was very green when I, I came to the AP as an intern. I, I still needed a lot of learning to do, so uh, they they couldn't hire me. Um, so I went and, and worked in Florida for fifteen months at a small newspaper on the coast, uh, Vero Beach, which was really cool because I'm a Dodgers fan. I was and- just gonna say. <laughs> And so uh, That's it was great. I covered covered the last uh, Dodgers uh, spring training in Vero Beach was which was kind of cool, you know, to close that chapter uh, with my pictures. Uh, and then from there, I, I got hired uh, in Houston. I I, um, I came in as a, a like a year by year contractor at the Houston Chronicle. And, and then after the first ten months, they were like, you know what, 
uh, screw the the contract, the yearly contract. We're just going to put you on staff. Um, and and I would have been there forever. You know, I I I, I was really happy there. Uh, but then um, AP, a job in uh, New Jersey opened up and, and I had to go for it because that was my dream job. Why was that your dream job? And then also I want to ask about that moment you heard from the Houston Chronicle where they're like, you know what, forget the year to year. Let's go staff. Just that validation. Just, you know, saying it's like that uh, that little fist pump on your shoulder from your professor in college. You know, just reassuring you like, okay, you have made the right decisions and you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it, it's been my dream job just because my, my idea of covering sports was always at the big level. I always wanted to cover a world cup and, and an Olympics and, and, you know, be, uh, on, on, on the field for, for the world series and stuff like that. So that's, that was the, you know, the reason I, I knew that, um, you know, a, a newspaper it, it would be harder for a newspaper to send me to the, these big name events, whereas the AP covers these uh, on a daily basis. So, uh, so that's the reason why um, you know the AP was 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 my dream. But uh, going back to to the Chronicle, um, you know, I was uh, I was a you know aggressive uh, you know employee uh, so much that when I came to interview for the job for the um, yearly contract job um, you know they, they were trying to interview me on a Tuesday and, and I had the day off on Monday at, at my current paper and I so I asked uh, uh, the the Chronicle I was like hey um, any chance I can fly in on Sunday and they're like well why why do you want to come in on Sunday and you know me being so aggressive I, I was like well because I want to come in and start looking for an apartment like I'm I'm already kind of you know, laying the, the, the groundwork. I'm, I'm not wasting any time, but honestly, I didn't want to tip them off of what I was doing. Uh, I, the reason I wanted to come in that Sunday is I, I knew I did some research on the, on the city and found out what was going on that, that weekend. And I found something that I wanted to cover. So, um, so I showed up straight off the airplane, uh, went and covered the story. And this is in 2007, uh, when sound slides was a big deal in, 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 in you know, visual journalist, uh, journalism. So I, I put together a sound slide presentation. And for those that don't know what that is, it's basically a slideshow of images with an audio track that gets put together and, and it just runs uh, seamless. Um, and, and so the, the event was uh, the Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, Festival. And there was going to be a parade and it, the, the convention center in Houston was going to be full of people celebrating Guadalupe. So I showed up, I shot everything on the street. I went inside, I found the top priests. I interviewed them. I, I found some people that were there and, and it was, um, you know, when it came down to my interview, I came in with my computer and I said, before we, uh, you know, you ask any questions, I want to show you what I did uh, in your town the first two hours here. And then I popped it open, hit play. And, and then as soon as I was over, I pulled up the, the Monday's paper and, uh, and I showed them the, the page two coverage that they did with, you know, a, a, a post stamp photo of it. And I said, the Mexican community in your city right now is, is you know, a large part of your, your demographics. 
and this is the, the amount of coverage you gave them. Uh, you know, if you want, you're welcome to take the video and, and put it on your website so that you can cover your, your, th this particular part of your community properly. And, and uh, the six uh, editors were quite, quite impressed. Uh, the, the editor in chief was, was uh, not happy, but he was impressed. And so, uh, you know, this long-winded answer is really all about, like, I was ready to, you know, come in and, and, and get it done. I, I wasn't going to wait for anybody to hand it to me. Well, I mean, eight, nine years of college, you're, you're chomping at the bit to just get out, get out, get out. That editor-in-chief, not happy because you're calling out his paper. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're calling out uh, the uh, deficiencies in the coverage. But at the same time, that's what editors and bosses need from their employees, from their teams, is to just say, hey, this is how I see it, and this is what we can do better. Yeah, and, and I think that's one thing that we lack uh, in, in the newsrooms is uh, the freedom to say, hey, we need to cover this because a lot of times, uh, you know, we come up with an idea and maybe you're, you're told, well, financially we can't happen because it, 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 you know, it's OT or travel or whatnot or, you know, or maybe they, they, there's just not much interest in it, but. Uh, you know, I, I did a, a workshop, a photo workshop. Uh, it's called the Missouri Photo Workshop. It's, it's very prestigious. It's been going on for over 100 years. And, uh, and that was uh, right after my AP internship, you know, a couple months after graduating from CSUN. And uh, I came in and, and you're given a whole week to do one documentary style uh, project. And it, you, they pick different towns in, in Missouri to, to uh, show up and, and basically tell everybody's story in that town. And I found one that the, uh, the editors on my team were not happy with. They were not very interested in it, but I stuck it out and I did it. And, and it went up to being like the, one of the nicest, like wholesome stories of the, the, of the week. Uh, so much that they gave me uh, what they call the uh, spirit of the workshop award. Uh, because I was just like resilient. I was like, no, this is the story and we got to do it. So um, yeah, we need a lot more of that in, in newsrooms where people are, aren't afraid to, to say, look, I, I'm the eyes and ears on the ground. I think this is the story, you know, let's go for it and, and you know, get a shot at it. We've brought up Mexico a few times. We've talked about the Mexican flag in a couple of your photos. You've talked about representing the Mexican American community in the city of Houston. Uh, let's talk about Mexico. Where in Mexico are you from and how did you get to the United States? Yeah, I'm from a small town outside of Mexico City uh, known as Tepexpan. Uh, it's a smaller town. It's kind of sandwiched between uh, the Aztec pyramids of Teotihuacan and, and, and Mexico City. And uh, uh, our claim to fame, uh, you know, world worldwide is that uh, the oldest uh, human uh, remains in Mexican territory were dug up in, in that town. So it's, uh, you know, the, that that's pretty cool. That That's that's kind of what put us on the uh, on the map. And, and now, uh, you know, with this Pulitzer, I, I, it's it's kind of putting us on, on the map again. There, I got local politicians posting uh, videos, uh, you know, of, of my interviews because uh, a lot of the, uh, the Spanish networks, na national Spanish networks here, uh, that interviews after the uh, 
the uh, the award. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to bring something, you know, to be proud of back to my town. Uh, and we came to the States. Uh, my parents actually came to the States a little bit before I did. Uh, and, and my dad was really lucky because he came in and got into the uh, Reagan administration's amnesty program. Mm -hmm. and, and he got his papers really quick. Uh, whereas uh, we came, um, we, we didn't want to wait for him to petition us, for us to come uh, to the U.S. We just came. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, uh, it wasn't easy. We got busted at the airport in LA. We, you know, we were traveling on a on a travel visa, but obviously with the intent of staying uh, long term. And we got busted and uh, it got sent back to Tijuana. But you know, uh, in in true resilient Cortez fashion, we were in LA 27 hours later. Um, you know, after crawling through a hole in the fence in San Isidro and and, and just making our our, our way back. Um, but yeah, uh, I spent 13 years undocumented, which, you know, it was really hard in Southern California. You had Prop 187. Uh, I couldn't drive a vehicle. I, I couldn't get a lot of the uh, medical services. So uh, it wasn't until I was 24, 23, 24, when I finally got my papers. And then uh, I, I literally got my papers July 17th. And by uh, August 23rd, the next month, I was enrolled at CSUN and ready to go. Just, just waiting for it. Just like, okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, I want to ask, like, that stress level. Did, did that stress level ever drop from the time you were uh, stopped at LAX, taken back to Tijuana, then you sneak through that uh, that hole in the fence in San Isidro? Not for like another fourteen or fifteen years. Do you did the anxiety ever? ease um the anxiety actually only would come up and, and down uh when when there are certain obstacles like you know getting a, a driver license or having to go to a, a four-year college uh but other than that i was too focused on what i was doing uh when i actually came to my interview uh at, at ins to for my residency uh i almost got denied because the paperwork that i was uh, coming in on there was uh, as my father petitioning a child. And, and so obviously I'm, I'm no longer a minor. And, and you know, the, the judge said, you know, this, we, you know, you're not a minor anymore. You don't qualify. And, and I busted out a, a binder, a binder that I carry. Um, and in this binder, I used to have all my work. I still have all my awards and all my accolades in there. Uh, and I opened it up and I was like, look, LA Times Scholarship, CCNMA scholarship. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I was I was the fastest uh, uh, mile runner in the whole state of California. I ran the LA Marathon uh, three times. Um, you know, I've got this award. Uh, so basically, running down and, and and I looked at the lady's uh, face and I said, "Look, you know, you got people outside of this room who you're going to accept just because they went through the motions." But like here is a proof of somebody that's doing uh, everything right. You know, I even had a copy of my selective service uh, paper uh, showing that, you know, look, you give me a social security that's, you know, that's legit and, and you, need, you need somebody to go fight for you in a war. I'm down. Just make me an American. Uh, so uh, that kind of sold uh, the case and, 
and so she she made an exception to to uh, give me the residency. But you know, again, it was I was so fixated on on getting all these uh, things done that uh, the anxiety de- didn't really uh, you know take part of it. It was just just in, in little spots here and there. And, and uh, have you since become a citizen? How does the the process all work? Yeah, so um, you know, I could have become a citizen five years uh, after that. Uh, I was lazy and I didn't do it right away, uh, but I did eventually do it. I did it in 2013, um, and, and it was really cool. Uh, you know, it uh, uh, unfortunately I did it uh, in Newark, New Jersey, is where I, I, I applied for everything. And Newark doesn't have those big ceremonies with, you know, thousands of people raising their hand. And, you know, uh, it, it's just very uh, low key and private. So uh, so I kind of missed out on that because I, I photographed, you know, a fair share of, of naturalization ceremonies and, and always thinking, man, that's going to be me someday. <laughs> and then it just kind of happened. Yeah, I, I can imagine like all the remotes that you take to like the horse track and all these other, you imagine, okay, let's set it up. Let's go, let's go. And then, all right, you're a citizen. Take care. Have a good one. Yeah, right, seriously. We'll just... <laughs> but, but it was really cool. Like the, actually the one thing that I, I, I remember the most about uh, my citizenship is I went in for the interview and I actually spent very few minutes uh, going through the motions with the judge. Cause we, we headed off, like I walked in and, I, and we were talking about traveling and, and road tripping. Uh, at that point I've had uh, touched 36 states. So we were talking about, you know, just being out in the country. Uh, at, at five days prior, I had a front page uh, photo in the Washington Post. So I, I can't, that was kind of like my binder this time. I just came in with the Washington Post and said, that photo, I took that. Uh, so you don't need a had, binder anymore. It's just here, yeah. here, here's the hometown paper. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but what was really cool is, uh, you know, I was waiting in, in the lobby waiting for, uh, to get my, my, uh, uh, certificate, uh, when somebody walked out and said, anybody speaks English, Spanish and English. And I raised my hand and, and they're like, come on in. We, we got, we, uh, we need some help. And, and this, uh, this lady, um, she was in her sixties. And she spoke very little English. Uh, and I, I actually became her uh, translator uh, for her interview. And, and so that was really cool because she struggled. And I was kind of like underneath my breath, kind of like giving her the answers and like helping her, like, you know, get citizenship. And and so like that was cool. Like that was that kind of meant more than actually me getting my my citizenship is this lady who can hardly walk is getting her. So. So that was pretty cool. We've talked about your resilience and you've given several examples of your resilience. Where, where did that come from? Um, I think a, a lot of it has to do going back to being on, at, at that fence in San Isidro where, you know, I know that, uh, you know, we're doing this because, uh, you know, for a reason. And, and so I didn't want to come here and be, uh, you know, kind of, in the shadows, I I I wanted to uh, to really make my parents' uh, efforts worth it. You know, like uh, my my parents gave up everything. They gave up their 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 family, their language, their culture to come here to give me a, an opportunity to to succeed. So for me, it was uh, uh, you know uh, I've always taken that as a, a, a as my goal is uh, I got to make sure that 
uh, I do them their uh, efforts right, you know, uh, just because, uh, you know, I can't even imagine. I, I remember having a conversation with my father when I went to Russia uh, for the Olympics in 2014 and walking around Russia, not knowing Russian and, and um, you know, struggling with the language barrier. And just putting myself, because I was like, you know, my dad did the same thing. He just kind of walked around, except he didn't have, like, money in his pocket. He didn't have a nice hotel to go back to at the end of the day. You know, he slept on the pews at Olvera Street when he first came to the U.S. And and that, you know, side jobs, like, uh, you know, uh, day labor jobs for, for five bucks. So, like, for me, you know, there there isn't any glory or there isn't any uh celebration uh if it doesn't include uh you know putting their name and, and their efforts uh forward and i've talked with several people on the podcast the idea that um, um in the immigrant community you just keep your head down you just you know you you do your work you you keep quiet and you know it just you just live your life uh, but like you said you made that decision as you're going through the fence at san isidro you're not going to live in the shadows. And so much so that when you did graduate from Cal State Northridge, tell me about that sign on top of your cap. Yeah, so I graduated in 2006, like right, you know, when it, it was really uh, active as far as, uh, um, you know, the, the uh, immigrant community standing up for themselves. We had re recently... Uh, you know, participated in the One Million uh, Latino March uh, and the Day Without a Mexican March and all that stuff. So uh, it was really vivid in my in my mind at that moment that you know immigrants uh, come here to to do the right thing. You know, obviously not everybody does, but uh, but the the majority were we're giving up a lot to come here and 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 to to add to the society. And so, again, I um, I wanted to uh, display that. I wanted to honor not just myself, but you know, uh, all the immigrants. So, uh, so I had a friend of mine um, who uh, made a foot and a half sign that he. I gave him my cap, and I said, "Just make a sign that, like, with an arrow pointing down, saying immigrant." And I don't know how. Like, I was thinking you know, like a six inch sign, like when he <laughs> pops up with a foot and a half and, 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 you know, he was really good at it. Cause he was, he made it so that, um, it actually stayed upright. Uh, cause after, you know, so many hours, I thought it was just going to flop over, but no, it stayed up, uh, big neon green. Uh, and the, you know, in the videos, you can see it from a mile away. You can see it, a neon greens pointing down. Um, and the best part about it is I, as I come up to the stage, uh, you know, nobody said anything. We, we've seen a lot of videos of this graduating season where kids have been in trouble for carrying a, a flag uh, up on stage. Uh, you know, I know this, there's this one kid in Southern California who's uh, the, the school district was denying him his diploma and his hard earned and uh, diploma because he walked up the stage with a u.s uh with a mexico flag you know I, I i had no pushback from anybody uh and, and so it's really funny because uh when i give my uh, uh name plate to the name reader you know he says my name 
and he reaches over to get the next person's uh, nameplate. And I just saw the opportunity. So I walked up to the to the mic and I just said, si se puede, which means, uh, you know, yes, we can. Yeah. And, and uh, luckily, my dad was rolling the, the camera. He uh, he got the video of it. And, and you can hear the crowd just go crazy. Uh, you, there's somebody in, in the foreground, not within our party, uh, but somebody you can hear them say, I knew that was coming. Like, cause, cause people, people had seen my sign so right, far. Like, right. they were like, what is he going to do next? Like he, there's something else like this, this is not it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it was really a, a powerful moment for me. Cause, uh, at that point I was the only, uh, person in my family to graduate from, from my U S uh, university. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to lay it out for, for everybody else. When you did get to the U S and you joined your parents, uh, and you were trying to live life, not in the shadows. What kind of blowback, if any, did you get from your family? Or they're like, you know what, this is Julio. He's he's just going to be Julio. It's not as if you crossed into this country and became a different person. The, um, no, it's really funny. Uh, I think that the, there's a very famous quote in our family where, because uh, I was crying at the border, like right before coming across, and, and the quote was, I, nobody asked me if I wanted to come to the U.S., and so now, like, we, we repeat that a lot of times, like, you know, oh, look, the guy that didn't want to come to the U.S. is now doing this or now doing that. There were some obstacles and they weren't necessarily uh, happy ones. Uh, but but, you know, we made the most of it um, when when I graduated uh, college, uh, you know, I, I hugged my parents and I told them, like, this is the reason you guys uh, work so hard. Uh, and I hope that this does it justice. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was, uh, uh, it was a good combination of, of that, uh, you know, graduating was definitely, uh, the seal of approval, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and now, uh, you know, getting recognized for my hard work, it's, it's kind of like another stamp of approval. So, we know what you've done over the last 20 years since coming to the United States, 20 plus. Um, how have your parents done? How have your, your siblings done, the rest of your family? Uh, everybody's done great. I mean, uh, my, my dad, uh, he's a workhorse. He, uh, you know, he's always working. Uh, even now that he's got his four kids uh, as adults, uh, you know, he doesn't have to work that hard, but he still has two jobs. And, uh, you know, just that's all he wants to do. He, he doesn't he never takes vacation. Um, you know, I've, I've asked him to come visit and, and he's like, well, you know, I, I don't have vacation. It's like, how can you not have vacation? <laughs> he's you got like nine things. years of accrued vacation time or whatever. It yeah. Is. <laughs> and so, um, you know, his thing is, if he is going to take a vacation, he's going to go back home to Mexico and, and, and spend some time there. Uh, so uh, he actually felt bad uh, the year he came to be uh, to meet my firstborn because uh, he came to the uh, to uh, New Jersey at the time uh, instead of going to Mexico. Uh, he, uh, you know, so he had to apologize <laughs> to his siblings like, sorry, I can't. And of course, everybody's like, Are you kidding me? Like, it's your grandson. Of course, you're you're going to uh, you're going to go there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's. Uh, done their thing uh, my you know i got two sisters who are um they're nurses and and they you know they, they love their job uh 
my brother, he's uh, he works at an auto shop store. He's a manager, so you know he. Uh, not not everybody chose the the you know the easy way of just like telling stories with pictures and you know they actually chose like real jobs and and you know uh, everybody's happy I think. Well, I mean, like we talked about before we were rolling today, the glamorous life of an AP photographer. Um, you're most comfortable in your car, so that's where we're actually doing. <laughs> that's where we're talking. Yeah, no, I spend a lot of time in my truck, uh, you know, chasing stories. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I never know where I'm going to end up at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, today, I knew I had a, a, an 1130 assignment uh, at the uh, football field. Uh, but here I am, uh, you know, in Annapolis because uh, there was a, a major development in, in the uh, trial for uh, that shooting that happened at the Anna, mm-hmm. uh, Annapolis uh, Gazette. So they, they found the shooter guilty today. So that was big news in, 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 the, uh, in Maryland as well as uh, the country. So I, I had to be here. Um, but yeah, I, I spend a lot of time here. I, I, I edit in my car. I, you know, I, uh, I've slept in my car for assignments sometimes. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it's not always, you know, the, the, the best assignments, but, you know, you make the most of it. So you've got your dream job, Associated Press Photographer, is the dream at is there no other goal beyond that do you want to move back to LA do you want to uh, I mean do sports exclusively since that was one of the things that you grew up wanting to do um you know the, the, the it's it's an endless world um you know, I would love to go back to LA um uh, you know I don't know if that opportunity will ever present itself but uh, uh, honestly I see myself as an AP photographer uh, for a long time. So if, if I get to go to LA, it's because I'm an AP photographer in LA, you know, it's not because, uh, uh, I'm doing something else. So, uh, you know, I, 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 the one cool thing about being a photographer is, uh, I, I've been able to see a lot of the country and a lot of the world. Uh, I touched 48 States, uh, you know, because of work. So, um, you know, I, I love LA and, and I would love to live there, but I also love other places that I, where I would love to, to live. So, um, you know, I, I know that I'm not always going to be as agile and, and, you know, as crazy, uh, because, you know, uh, of age or whatever. So, you know, eventually I, I want to move into a, a different situation where maybe I'm leading a, a team of like rock stars that are making me look good. Nice. So, nice. But, you know, that's that's not even in my, uh, you know, in my peripheral right now. Right now, I just want to keep telling stories and keep take, taking pictures and, and, uh, and enjoying this, man, because it's so it's so much fun. When did it become your dream to become a photographer, you know, growing up in the shadows of the pyramids outside Mexico City? At what point did it did it kind of sink in like, OK, I want to tell stories and to do so, I want to take some amazing photographs. Yeah, so um, not long after coming to America, I uh, entered my middle school newspaper and I wrote a, a, a short little story on my local rec center, uh, you know, talking about what the, the sports that they offer. And, and you know, it's just a, a fluff piece that, you know, uh, as good as a 12-year-old could, could write. Um, and that gave me the itch. I, you seeing my name in print really like was was super cool. And and that's the thing. Like I always wanted to 
be in the newspaper one way or another. Like I, I wanted to be a, a professional baseball player, but when I realized that maybe I'm not going to be good enough to do that, uh, I, I needed to figure out another way to be on the baseball field. So, uh, so I, initially my, my dream was to be a, a Los, Los Angeles Dodgers beat writer. And I wanted to cover the Dodgers exclusively and, and write for a newspaper or a magazine or whatnot. But, um, on September 11, um, I was working part-time at the LA Daily News uh, sports department, just a, as a copy boy. Uh, and, and I was there um, when we were put, putting together the midday, uh, you know, extra edition about what happened at the World Trade Center. And, and the images that I kept on seeing from the AP wire just really struck me. Uh, there's an image uh, in particular from uh, Susan Plunkett, uh, a former AP photographer. Uh, you know, you see the, the destruction in the back and, and all these New Yorkers like running for their lives. There's a, there's a man in, in, a, in a dress shirt with a tie and a backpack and he's like trying to run for safety. That image really made me think, wow, like uh, these images are instant history and, and that's what I want to do. I want to tell uh, stories and I want to record history. I, I want, uh, I want to put my name next to history. Shout out Beto Duran, because it's through his Instagram that I found yours and you and your story. And I didn't really connect all the dots because we go back to when you took that iconic photograph, if we go full circle for this conversation, when you took that iconic photograph in Minneapolis, it made the rounds among the CSUN journalism professors and only around the time of your Pulitzer Prize, did I put two and two together? It's like, oh gosh, of course, I've seen that photo. That that made the rounds in the email last summer after it was published, after it went viral. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud to be able to uh, communicate with you and connect with you. And uh, I mean, just, I'm, I'm proud of you on so many levels. You don't need me to tell you that I'm, I, you know, you don't need my validation, but uh, I, I just, I love seeing your work and I love, seeing your, your Instagram and your, your family stories and like all the different things that you've got going on right now. So proud of you. Pre- appreciate, really appreciate the time today, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned last year, uh, the, the photo making the rounds on, on at CSUN because, uh, one of the professors, uh, David Blumenkrantz posted on his Facebook, uh, and it's funny because uh, after several days of, of just being in, in constant, uh, you know, riots and, and disturbance and everything, uh, one of the local photographers in Minneapolis invited us over for a, a little barbecue at his backyard. Uh, he's a former AP uh, photographer, um, and uh, his name is David Gutenfelder, and, and he uh, he lives there, and he invited us all to kind of just chill and. and we're hanging out, we're talking to the, uh, you know, uh, at this table and there's this kid, uh, you know, I call him a kid cause he's half my age, but he's, he's there and he's like, uh, you know, asking a lot of questions and saying, Hey, you know, like, uh, you know, I just came from LA. Uh, you know, I just, uh, got here. I want to, you know, I'm in school and, and, and I'm, as soon as I asked him, it's like, Hey, um, what school? And he's like, Oh, I go to Northridge. I'm like, dude, I went to Northridge. <laughs> so, so we're talking, you know, uh, you know, uh, just candidly. Uh, and then he goes, well, let me, let me uh, find you on Instagram and I'll follow you. And then he's like, as soon as he pops over my Instagram, he's like, wait, 
my teacher was just talking about you. And I'm like, oh, is, is that David? He's like, yep. That's and, and so anyways, we made a connection there. And and that's that's kind of really cool because, um, you know, he had already been taken under David's uh, David Gutenfelder's uh, wing, at, you know, being there. Uh, but a lot of us took him took him under our wings, and, and now he's a staff photographer at Getty Images in Houston. And mostly because he had that like aggressive attitude that I'm just gonna go, uh, you know, I, I only have 400 bucks in my pocket, but and I don't have a rental car, but I'm gonna figure it out. And, and now, you know, he's traveling the, the U.S. telling the pretty cool stories. So, uh, so it's really cool to to see those full circles and 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 to you know, to kind of embrace another CSUN uh, student that's out there with, with so much energy. Cause, cause I see myself in him. I, you know, it's like, Hey, I was in, in your shoes. I know exactly what you're going through right now. And, and shout out also Ringo too, one of my classmates at Cal state Northridge sharing that Pulitzer prize with you and the uh, other eight AP photographers on that team. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, that's one thing that I, I felt to mention earlier is that, you know, my photo is like the lead image in that package, but there's there's uh, nine other photographers in that group that are just incredible, and uh, a lot of people I've looked up to for for you know for a long time. Um, you know, uh, it's just incredible to be in that in in that group. So, uh, you know, in, in true like you know uh, AP fashion, it's like we it's it's the AP gets the glory and and we're you know we're just kind of like the components of it so yeah. it's pretty cool you ready for baby number three and when i say any day now it's like any day now we had to do it this week because next week uh you might you you might not be available and i couldn't do last week because i wasn't available so we had to squeeze it in this week because you're about to be a father for the third time yeah uh we're uh four days out so it's uh it's really exciting uh, I hope I don't have to do as much work as I did last time, but, uh, you got your catcher's you know, mitt ready. That's, uh, I'm, I'm ready. I, you know, I played, I played catcher, uh, growing up, uh, playing baseball. So it's just so fittingly that I caught, caught a baby. So, uh, yeah, no, we're ready. I mean, you know, uh, when you have two kids under three, uh, you know, what's another one. So <laughs> I, I, as, as a father of two daughters, and they're six and eight, so they're about two and a half years apart. I totally know what you mean. It's like, well, you know what? One's just coming out of diapers. What's what's you know another one going back in? Whatever. We just manage. We yeah. just manage. I tell people that I, I you know, just jokingly because I don't really believe this, but uh, you know, I got kind of famous by doing uh, civil unrest uh, photography. And I love civil unrest so much that I brought it to, into my home with three kids. <laughs> Is there a time, by the way, before you go? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's so easy to take a picture on an iPhone, post it on Instagram or whatever. Do you ever look at that and be like, I can't, I can't post that. That's not, that, that's not the quality that my followers are used to. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, you know, the, I love iPhone photos. Um, you know, I, I think that a camera is a camera. I don't, I don't really think that uh, you know a fancy lens is going to get you something better. I mean, certain situations, yes. Uh, but if you know how to, uh, you know, get on your uh, on your chest on the ground and angle a, a, an iPhone properly, your photos is going to be just as good. I mean, 
especially the quality of, of cameras and iPhones now, it's they're so good that you couldn't even tell them apart anymore. Just don't sit in the hot northeastern <laughs> sun in July without the AC on trying to do a podcast on Zoom. Yeah, because you'll get that warning that it's uh, overheated. <laughs> like, come on, man. Julio, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Yeah, for sure. You can watch this episode on YouTube and DBNA TV. Follow the Aaron Bender podcast on your favorite platforms and link to it at AaronBender.com. That's also where you can find all my social media. If you have guest ideas or comments, email me, AaronBenderMedia at gmail.com. Be well, and thanks for listening.